tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. Come on, let's have some fun this morning. together on campus and online this morning. We're going to start by having you open your Mission Church app, and then you want to look for the tab that says Sunday Resources, then click Friendship Register. Please fill this out. We would just love to know that you joined us today. And if you are joining us for the first time, welcome. It is such a blessing to have you with us, and we'd like to invite you to our Guest Connect time immediately after the service. If you are joining us online, just stay on the live stream, and Guest Connect will begin in just a few minutes. If you are joining us in person, we'd love to invite you to stop by our Guest Connect table after the service. We would just love to meet you and give you a special gift. Next week, we kick off a brand new sermon series for the month of January called Commit to Mission. As disciples living on mission for Jesus, we pursue a loved and sent life. 
It takes commitment. It means we commit to mission, maturity, ministry, and multiplication. Invite your friends to join you for this powerful sermon series. Now this next announcement is for our teenagers. Mark your calendars for Wednesday, January 6th. Pastor Jared will be kicking off a new series called Overcome out of the book of 1 John. The students will continue building community in small groups as well. If you'd like more information on how to connect with mission students, just send an email to students at mission-church.com. You know, one of the ways that we worship the Lord is through the giving of our tithes and offerings. You'll see a gift tab in the Mission Church app, and those of you who are on campus this morning, you'll see offering boxes as you exit the building. If you are joining us in person, we have a few instructions for you. We are so grateful to have the option to gather on campus together and to mitigate as much risk as possible, we request you wear a mask throughout the morning. At the end of the service, an usher will dismiss you by rows. Those of you who have children and Mission Kids, you're gonna exit out that side door. You can look for the Mission Kids sign. Everyone else will, will be dismissed out the back doors of the worship center into the gravel lot. Okay, church, let's worship the Lord together this morning. Well, good morning, church. Let's stand together and go to the Word. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Church, that's what we do as believers. We worship the king, all glorious above and we gratefully sing of his wonders and love. So let's do that this morning.
power and authority seated on the throne of majesty reigning over every part of history that is Jesus who was and is and forever will be so we're going to sing this for you this morning One name 
up this morning. We give you praise. We hail your name, one name, Jesus Christ, the name that is above every other names in heaven and earth. The name of Jesus Christ is the one that we proclaim this morning, our Savior. We worship you. church. Turn to your neighbors, pull out your Bible, have a seat. Good morning, church. Good morning. Welcome. It's uh, the second day after Christmas, but I feel like I can still say Merry Christmas. It's so good to see all of you here. Thanks for joining us on this last Sunday of 2020. Can I get an amen to that? Um, but yes, this is the last Sunday of 2020, and as you may or may not already know, our service is going to look a little bit different today. Uh, because we are going to look at the last part of the traditional Christmas story. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 2, so you can take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 2, and we're going to look at the, the passage that talks about the wise men, the wise men. You know, uh, as the video showed us, uh, our series all through this month has been called Traditional Christmas, and the reason that we chose that was because we wanted, in this untraditional year of 2020, to look back at the traditional Christmas story to find joy, to find hope, to find peace, and to see the love of Christ. And today, we're going to look at one more aspect of that traditional story, which is the worship that Christmas should uh, elicit in our spirits. And that worship is so wonderfully portrayed in the story of the wise men. Um, and, and that story really is captured in this nativity scene, isn't it? Now, if you notice today, the nativity scene looks a little bit different because for the last number of weeks, we've had the, we've had the wise men over there on the piano, but, but today it's the shepherds and their animals and even the angel have made their way back out into the field. And now today we have these wise men here surrounding Jesus and Mary and Joseph. And, and we're going to find out why that is in a second. But but the traditional Christmas story really is wrapped up in this nativity scene. And, and we see uh, that, that, the, that the wise men have come to Jesus in this, in this passage that we're going to look at today. Um, and so 
Eric already read the beginning uh, couple of verses for us, but I, I want to read them again just to kind of uh, set some context for us as we look at this, at this story today. So turn your attention to the scriptures with me in verse 1 of chapter 2 of the book of Matthew. And it says this, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So if you're a note taker this morning, uh, you have notes in your uh, Mission Church app. Uh, the first point that we're going to cover this morning is that the, that the wise men teach us to worship Christ by seeking him, by seeking him, okay? And so what we need to do as, as we kind of start out this morning is we need to set some context. We need to answer some questions about about this story that will really help us as we move forward. And the first question I think that is uh, important for us to look at is, who are these wise men? Who are these wise men? Uh, the scripture uses the word magoi in the Greek, or, or magi, uh, to describe these men. And so that word magi, as you've probably heard before, is, is, is where we get our English word magic, or magician. And so some people would look at these, these wise men as magicians, or um, um, uh, some people would, would look at them and historians would tell us that they were kind of into astronomy or astrology because they, they really spent a lot of time thinking and studying the, the stars. Um, but, they were, but they were very well respected, and, and, and wise men is actually a really good term for them. They were philosophers. They were well-respected in there, really all over the world at that time. Um, and, and because of that, they were, they were, they were of a higher class in, in that society of the day. They, they, they were more wealthy, and they were, they were very respected, looked well upon because of the wisdom that they possessed. And, and the final thing about these men is that they were Gentiles. They were not Jewish. Okay. They were not Jewish. And, and, and the text also tells us that they were from east, from the east, right? Wise men from the east. And so east of where? East of Lancaster? Yes. But, but more east, east of Jerusalem. East of Jerusalem because the story says that they came to Jerusalem from the east. And so they're from the region of what, what we would call, would have called Babylon or Persia or Mesopotamia, somewhere in that area where the Tigris and the Euphrates River uh, are in the Middle East. So knowing that about the wise men, it really begs the question, why would these people who are from so far away and who are not really Jewish, why would they be interested in seeking the king of the Jews? And, and not only that, but, to, but seeking him for the purpose of coming and worshiping him. Well, interestingly, if you know anything about Jewish history, you'll know that the nation of Israel lived in, in that area surrounding Jerusalem, Palestine, where the Sea of Galilee is and the Dead Sea and, and all of that, near the Mediterranean Sea. They lived there, but they sinned against God. They broke the covenant with God, and, and God, in his judgment against them that he had promised, exiled them out of 
that land, what was known as the promised land. They, they were exiled out of the land because Babylon and Persia came in and took them and displaced them, removed them from that land and placed them in their own homelands, which was the east, which was Babylon, which was Persia. And so there were many people at this time, even hundreds of years after that exile happened, there were many Jews still living in the east at that time. And, and, and during that exile, one of the men who was exiled was named Daniel. And that's, that's, we read about him in the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. And there's a really interesting verse in Daniel chapter 2, verse 48, that says this. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts. Why did he do that? Because Daniel interpreted the dream, if you remember the story. Because Daniel not only interpreted it, but he told the king the dream without, because God had revealed it to, to him. So he, he gives him these high honors. He gives him these, these great gifts. And, he, and, and the king made Daniel ruler over the whole, prince, over the whole province of Babylon and the chief prefect over, listen to this, over all the wise men of Babylon. So possibly, it's not 100% sure, but possibly and maybe probably, the wise men that came seeking Jesus were of the same group of wise men that Daniel was over, was placed over when he interpreted the king's dream. And, 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 and if we continue to read the book of Daniel, we'll, we'll notice in the book of Daniel that, that Daniel also prophesied of uh, the coming Messiah, and his prophecies were incredibly accurate. They were incredibly accurate. And so surely this God-fearing man, Daniel, if he was over all of the wise men of Babylon, surely he would have communicated the Hebrew scriptures to them, which may give us reason for why they were seeking the king of the Jews at this point. So there's Jewish influence here with these wise men. The next question I think that is important for us to answer is, what is the timing of this event? And that's why we've been having the, 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 the wise men over here on the piano, and they're not at yet with the shepherds, because, because they came later. They came later. How do we know this? Well, first of all, the trip from the east probably would have taken several weeks um, or, or even months for them to travel. Um, and, and we don't know exactly when they saw the star, okay? So... Um, so perhaps they saw the star when Jesus was born or maybe a little bit before, but not much before and probably after. It's most probably after he was born when they saw the star in the east that prompted them to begin this journey that would have taken quite some time. And then when they get to Bethlehem in verse 11 of this passage, when they get to Bethlehem, they actually see what is called a child the Greek word that is used there is not the word that's used in Luke for baby. It's a different Greek word that is translated as child. So, so some of these things, amongst others, give us context clues that say that these wise men probably ar arrived several months to even up to two years after Jesus was born. So Jesus at this point is probably a toddler. 
He's probably a toddler. What else does the text say? It says that when they came to Bethlehem, they came to a house, not a manger, not an inn, not a stable, but a house. So Mary and Joseph would have had time to leave the manger, to find a house, to, to start paying their mortgage, you know, all, all of these different things. I'm kidding about the mortgage. I don't, I don't think that that's how uh, things actually worked back at that point. But, but when the wise men arrived to this house with Jesus being a toddler, I'm sure that they must have seen all the childproofing that, that was required for uh, toddlers back in the day. You know, the little things in the electrical outlets and the, on the corners of the tables and, and like the thing that goes over the toilet that makes it impossible for adults to go to the bathroom there anymore. Right? No, I, I don't know if childproofing was a thing back then. But anyway, this is, this is, these are some of the things that are helpful for us to understand about the story of the wise men. And so we find them coming to worship the king of the Jews. And we're going to pick up the story here in verse 3 where it says, When Herod the king heard this, when he heard that these men had come to Jerusalem, because they came to Jerusalem first, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Why is King Herod troubled? Well, I think he's troubled, and, and we, know, we know some things about King Herod, and he was not a, not a nice guy, okay? Um, he was actually kind of a tyrant. And, and he is troubled when these wise men coming, seeking the king of the Jews, and they're saying, no, it's not you, Herod, it's somebody else. Imagine if you were in his shoes and you, and you wanted to keep your, your, your kingship, your reign, solid and intact. If somebody else is coming and saying there's another king that's just been born, you want to do something about that, don't you? You want to find that king. That would, if I was King Herod, that would cause me to rise up and say, who is this that thinks that they can challenge my authority? So he doesn't want his reign to be challenged, and he wants to find this so-called king of the Jews because he had taken that title on himself even though he wasn't Jewish. So he says, where is he? And he seeks out these, uh, the answer to where this would be. So he assembles, in verse 4, he assembles all the chief priests and scribes of the people and he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They tell him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and this is from Micah chapter 5 verse 2, they say, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, people Israel. So point number two in your notes is uh, we worship Christ in Scripture. We worship Christ in Scripture because it's the Scriptures that are leading these men to Jesus. The scribes and the priests look to Scripture for clarity on where Christ would be born. But when they look for that, that clarity on where he would be born, they find more clarity about who he is and what he's going to do. Look what it says. It says, For from you, Bethlehem, shall come a ruler, a ruler. Jesus is going to be the ruler who will do what? Who will shepherd his people Israel. Jesus is the ruler. He's in charge, and he is the shepherd. He is the one who guides and protects and leads and disciplines. But there's something fascinating about this that I had never known until I was studying for this, uh, studying this passage in the last number of weeks. And I think it's really fascinating 
that you have these wise men who were from a far-off land and who are not even Jewish, they're, they're wholeheartedly seeking the king of the Jews. And then you have King Herod, who for the exact opposite reasons is wholeheartedly seeking this king of the Jews. But you know who's not seeking the king of the Jews? The ones who know the scriptures the best. The chief priests and the scribes, they know this prophecy, right? They know, they know that, 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 that the king, that the ruler, that the shepherd is going to be born in Bethlehem. And these wise men come and say, we, heard, we saw the king's star, we want to go find him. And the chief priests basically just say, yeah, I think, I think he's over in Bethlehem, you guys can go ahead and find him. If I was, if, if I was, no, probably I would, I, I would probably fall into the same category as them, right? But, but why wouldn't the leaders, the spiritual leaders, the pastors of the people of Israel, why wouldn't they then go to seek out the Savior as well, but they don't go? Why, why is that? I'm not really sure. Maybe, maybe, you know, there had been 400 years of silence. God had not spoken to the people of Israel for 400 years, and maybe they had lost their hope. Maybe, maybe, they, maybe they were looking for more pageantry in his arrival. Maybe they were looking for more pomp. Maybe they were holding on too tightly to the authority that they had, and they didn't want to give it up, so they didn't want to find this king. What, whatever the case, it begs the question. It, it, it leads us to say they didn't act on the knowledge of Scripture that they had, Right? And so that begs the question of us, what about us? How about us? Aren't we blessed to know Scripture? We're, we're blessed in, here in America with so much access to the Bible. But what do we do with it? Do, do we read Scripture do we do our devotions so that we can check a religious checkbox and say, yeah, I did that today. I'm a good Christian. Or do we read it because this is the source. This is our daily bread. This is the words of the ruler of my life. And I want to know what he says so that I can know how to live. And our knowledge of scripture. Do, do we have knowledge of scripture so that we can communicate it to our Christian friends and look better to them? Or do we know it because we need it? We need it to live our lives. We need it to guide our path. We need to hear the words of the good shepherd when we're facing difficult circumstances. Friends, James tells us that, that we are to be more than just hearers and knowers of the word, but doers of the word. What has authority in your life? Who has authority to speak into your life? Is it Jesus? And when he does speak into your life, what are you doing with it? Let's contemplate this as we sing this next song.
creation knows the voice that's spoken to the void the breath that brought the dust to life and sang the stars to forth the darkness fears your That drove it back before And though the night is long I know your light Will drive it back once more One word from you Things change on your
So we worship Christ by seeking him. We worship him by heeding his voice in scripture and the authority that it carries in our lives. And the text continues on today to show us that uh, we, we can worship Christ by rejoicing. We worship Christ by rejoicing. Now, verses 7 to 9, uh, they, they talk about this interaction that Herod and the wise men have. Um, but we're going to come back to those verses in a little bit. I want to look forward, uh, jump forward to the end of verse 9, where it says this. It says, and, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them and, until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And then verse 10 says, when they saw that star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. So why, why did they rejoice so much when, when they saw this star? Well, let's talk about the star for a second because that's another one of these parts of the story that's sort of like this mystery and that's been debated over all these millennia of what this star actually was. There's so much written and studied and really speculated about this star, but, but let's stick to what the text says and, 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 and listen to what it says about the star. It says in verse 2 that uh, these wise men saw the star in the east before they came to Jerusalem. So when the, when the wise men see this star, that's what causes them to begin their journey. But then when it says in verse 9, and behold, the star that they had seen in the east went before them. I, I think that gives us a clue that they saw it back in the east and then they hadn't seen it anymore until this moment when they were in Jerusalem. And so it may have been quite some time since they had seen this star. Maybe they were thinking as they were traveling, guys, do you think we're still going in the right direction? I don't see, I haven't seen the star for a while. But they continue on. And, and it seems to indicate there that when it says, behold, after they have their conversation with Herod, that, that it appears to them again, and it goes before them leading them from Jerusalem, which was in the north, to, to Bethlehem, which was about five miles south. So friends, I'm not the smartest guy in the world. I haven't studied this for as long as so many other scholarly people have studied this. But as I've read and studied in preparation for today, I think that this star is not, not some astronomical event in the sky. I don't... I, I, I don't think that it's that because stars don't travel north and south. They travel east to west or west to east. I believe that this star that they saw was nothing but the Shekinah glory of God. The same the, the, a similar thing, a similar experience to what the people of Israel saw when, when the pillar of fire led them through the desert. And so when this star appears to these wise men in the east, they see the glory of God. They see the glory of God, and that causes them to begin this very costly, very time-consuming journey. 
And then when they see it again, can you imagine the, the spark of hope in their hearts when they say, guys, there it is again. We're, we're in the right place. And look, it's leading us. And their response is rejoicing. Their response is rejoicing. Friends, the Christmas story, if it does nothing else, it reminds us that the glory of God brings tremendous joy into our lives. It's the glory of God that should fill our hearts as believers in Jesus Christ with great and great joy, just like exceeding joy. So when is it that we see the glory of God? I don't, I don't know about, has anybody seen any stars leading them anywhere lately? I haven't. If you have, I'd love to talk with you because that would be an awesome story. But friends, we, we get to see the glory of God all the time as Christians. When do we see it? I believe we see it when people are served in Jesus' name. I believe we see it when people are healed by the great physician. I believe we see it when people are encouraged by other believers. I, I believe we see it when addictions are broken by the power of God. I believe we see it when marriages are reconciled through the work of the Spirit. Friends, I believe we see it when people from different churches and races and, and uh, cultures and, dare I say it, even politi political affiliations love one another. We see the glory of God in these things, and friends, we see it most of all when people accept the gospel of Jesus Christ and come to him for salvation and believe and place their faith in him for the first time. These are the ways that we see the glory of God. And you want to know something, friends? I have seen most of these things, if not all of these things in the year of 2020, as bad as it has been. All of these things are still happening, church. The glory of God is still active. Amen? And when I see the glory of God, I don't know about you, but it causes me to want to sing. It causes me to want to shout. It causes me to want to dance. It causes me to want to get up on my feet. So let's get up on our feet this morning and let's rejoice in the glory of God today. Come on, friends. Let's sing together.
And let's pray together. Father, we just come to you this morning and we are rejoicing because of what you have done, because we have seen the glory of God. Thank you, Father, for all the goodness that you have poured into our lives, Father. It brings great joy to our hearts, even to be able to be here together, even to be able to watch this service online today, Father. We are so grateful for all that you have done, and we are grateful for the way that we have seen your glory in people's lives in this past year, God. Help us to continue to bring rejoicing into this coming year that we are um, uh, commencing in just a few days, Father. And we rejoice with those in our church who have been healed this year. We think of Wayne Guyberson and the, and the successful surgery that he uh, had this past week. Lord, we're rejoicing with him and we're praying for him, God, that he would continue to be healed, that he would recover well, and that he would be able to join with us again soon. And we'll, Lord, even as we rejoice with those who are rejoicing, we need to remember to weep with those who weep, and we need to bring our sister Charlene Washington to you today. Father, we pray for her as she is just struggling tremendously with her health and she's, she needs a touch from you, Father. And so we just commit her to you. We ask for healing, Lord, that she would see the glory of God in her life and that, and that you would just touch her with your healing hands, God. And for those who are in this room today, Lord, maybe there are those who need your healing. There are those who need healing in relationships, who need, who need reconciliation, Father. Maybe there are those who need to come to you, maybe for the first time. Lord, would you, would you continue to do your work in our hearts and help us Lord, even, even if we've come into this place with, with hearts that are heavy, Lord, would you cause rejoicing to occur because of your spirit at work within us. So we just ask you for, for this great joy to continue to be a response of worship to you in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. I think after watching a video like that, we might need to start a dance ministry. Um, I'm not sure how effective it would be, but uh, it's worth a shot, right? I got to tell you, dancing is, is a way that, that I, that the most joyful moments of my life, dancing just happens. And, and, and that's why we, we recorded those families, because we wanted to capture that joy. And it's a good thing. It is a worshipful thing for us to rejoice in that way before the Lord. And so we've been talking about these things that we do in worship. We worship Christ by seeking him. We worship Christ uh, in scripture as, as we obey it and, and listen to it and read it. We worship him by rejoicing, right? And then the next part of the story tells us that we worship Christ simply by seeing him. Simply by seeing him. Verse 11 says this. In going into the house, the wise men, they saw the child. They just saw him with Mary, his mother. And what did they do? They fell down and worshiped him. They just needed a glimpse of him. And it caused them to worship. Friends, when we catch a glimpse of Jesus, the right response is for us to fall down on our hands and knees and worship him. So we're going to try to give you a glimpse of 
just who he is from the scriptures as we watch this video. Let's worship as we watch this video together. What name could contain such a glory? In the cool breezes of Eden, brought from the infant earth, one arose, the voice of his creator speaking his identity to life. Adam, man. And as heaven waited short with bread, the creator spoke yet another, Eve mother of all the living. So it was with Abraham, named in the promise as the father of nation, Peter, the rock upon which the church would stand. The name called to life the destiny within. The name set the stage for all that was to come. And unto us a child was born. And what name could contain his glory? For he was mighty God, as the universe gasped into being flinging rays of light from his presence to pierce the void, to shatter the shadows to a tapestry of color. And he is mighty God, shattering our darkness, revealing our light, our truth in him. He was everlasting father when orphaned Israel needed a father's touch. When we, with grief-stricken cheeks, need the embrace of one who never leaves, when we have lost our way to dark horizons, it is our everlasting Father who lights the way home. He is Prince of Peace. When, like Elijah, we need the still small voice in the turmoil's midst. When, like David, we need the melodies of his presence to soothe our troubled minds. He is sanctuary within our trials, shepherd guiding us to still waters. And yes, he is wonderful counselor. God who gives counsel in the chaos, crafting disorder into calm and failure into beauty. He is a voice for the voiceless. He is dignity for the stateless soul. It is he who raised up a lowly shepherd to become a king. He who took the fishermen of Galilee and made them leaders of history. It is the counselor who redeems our lost years breaking chains that have kept dreams imprisoned and joy confined. The name reaches across eternity, exclaimed by the splendors of galaxies, sung by the passions of angels, roared in heaven's fervor, exalted in creation's unfettered rejoicing. What name could contain him? What title? What soul? Renown? But this is our wonderful counselor. This is our mighty God. This is our everlasting Father, our Prince of Peace. What name could contain Emmanuel, God with us, Yahweh, the great I Am. What name could contain the Word of Life, the Light of the World, the King of Kings, the Lord of All. We bow to the name that holds every
we cry, Jesus. We cry, holy is the name. What a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a wonderful name it is. What a wonderful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a powerful name it is. What a powerful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a powerful name it is. Nothing can stand against. What a powerful name it is. The name of Jesus. Death could not hold you. The veil tore
Well, let's sing that again. What a powerful name it is. What a powerful name it is. You sing it. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a powerful name it is. Nothing can stand against. What a powerful name it is. The name of Jesus. What a powerful name. What a powerful name it is. The name of Jesus. What a powerful name. What a powerful name it is. The name of Jesus. And you can be seated. His name is powerful. His name is wonderful. His name is beautiful. And when we see that in the face of Jesus Christ when, Christ, when we come to that realization, it causes us to fall at his knees, at, 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 at his feet, and worship, and worship him. And when we worship, friends, worship, you can think of it this way, worship equals worth-ship. Worship equals worth-ship. What do I mean by that? What it means is that when we worship someone or something, we ascribe worth to them. We place value on them. We place ultimate. We place the highest value on that thing or that one. And the way that the wise men expressed how much they valued this king that they had come to worship. They fell down on their knees. They bowed before him and they gave him gifts. That verse goes on to say, then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gifts of immense value, immense cost. And when we see who Jesus is, friends, is there anything too costly for us to give to him? Is there, is, is there any way we could go overboard in our worship? In, in what we sacrifice for him, in what we offer to him, even to the very details of our lives, he's worthy of it. Amen? Amen. These wise men, they traveled so many miles. They gave up months of their lives. They offered these expensive gifts with tremendous meaning as their act of worship. Let's look at, let's look at these gifts for a moment because I think there's tremendous symbolism in the gifts. They give him gold, which was really probably the most priceless commodity of the day. And gold is a gift that is fit for a king. I think this gold communicates that to, from these wise men to Jesus, you are the king that we have come to worship. And when we, when we declare that someone is a king, when we say that you're the ruler over our lives, we, we are in essence saying, I'll do whatever you say you want me to do. 
I will submit to you as the king of my life. Is in some symbolic way, is there some sort of gold in your life, in your heart, that you would offer to the king today by submitting to his authority? The second gift is frankincense. And, and in that word is the word incense, right? What is incense a picture of all throughout the scriptures? It's a picture of prayer. It says many times in the scriptures that the prayers of the righteous go up to God as a sweet-smelling offering, as an offering of incense. And so these wise men bring this frankincense. And what I think that there's symbolism in this gift uh, uh, that it represents is, is that they're, they're giving this gift to one who they believe is actually a deity, is actually a God, who is actually otherworldly. They're saying, by giving him the frankincense, you are God. Friends, when we pray, we don't, we don't just pray to any old, any old person. We pray to the God who created the heavens and the earth. We pray to one who, can, who has all store of all provision, who, who is willing to provide for all the needs that we have. And, and his grace is an endless, boundless supply. We could never, we could never drain the storehouse of his love and his grace for us. And so when we come to him and pray to him, we're coming to one who is God. And we're saying when we pray, when we offer that sweet-smelling incense to the Lord, that God, not only are you worthy of me coming to pray to you, but you are the, one, you are the only one that I am dependent on. You are the one who can meet my needs. And in doing so, we acknowledge that he truly is God. And then the third gift is myrrh. Myrrh was used in that day as a burial spice. It was used to embalm people who had died. And so in offering frankincense, they're saying that this, that this, this, this child that they were, that they were witnessing was, was God, but they were also saying by giving him the myrrh that he was a man, and as a man, he was mortal, and that he would one day die. And what happened when Jesus died? He paid the price of the sins of the entire world. He made propitiation for each one of us and everyone in human history who would come to faith in him. The myrrh points to Jesus' death, a death that would pay for all of our sins. Friends, this child that they were worshiping that day was the savior of the world, and he was born to die for you, for me. And when we believe that, when we trust that, that he came to die, he, he lived a perfect, sinless life, and he died on the cross, not because he had done anything wrong, but because he needed to pay the penalty of all of our sins. And then he rose from the grave three days later. When we believe in that message, friends, that is when true, acceptable worship can really begin. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Which, 
gift of worship? Is God calling you to offer to him today? Well, let's contemplate this as Julie sings this song over us today.
So there's one final offering uh, as we close today that I want to point out that the wise men brought to Jesus. And again, if you're taking notes, this is uh, the last point. We, we worship Christ by believing, by believing, by having faith in him. And uh, as I said, uh, verses 7 through 9, we, we skipped over before, but we're going to talk about them here because this is where Herod summons the wise men secretly, and it says, uh, and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them, the wise men, to Bethlehem, saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, he asks them, he says, bring me word, why, that I too may come and worship him. And after listening to the king, they went on their way. So they go, they're going to Bethlehem, at least in Herod's mind, as a delegation of his, and they're going to bring back word so that he can worship him. But that was not his intention at all. And then if you jump forward, they go, they, they, they have this encounter with Jesus and they worship him. And then verse 12 says this, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So what happens here? They, they see this vision in the dream, and they're presented with a choice because they know that Herod is waiting for them to come back. But this, but this dream, God has told them not to do that. So they're like, okay, they've got a choice to make because we know that Herod is serious. We know that Herod doesn't put up with people who betray him. And this, this choice that they're given is not an inconsequential choice. It's not an easy choice to make. They risked Herod finding out that they would have left. And it says that they departed to their own country by another way. That other way was going the whole way up and around Jerusalem. It would have cost them a lot more time. It would have cost them a lot more money a lot more hassle. It would have been so much easier for them to go right back through Jerusalem. And if they had done that, they, there would have been no way of them avoiding notice of King Herod, and he would, they would have had to tell him. But what do they do? They obey God. They obey the dream. They choose wisely. And what they chose to do, because of their obedience... What they chose to do paved the way for Jesus to do what he came to do. If they had not listened to that dream, what would have happened? Well, God is sovereign, and his plan can, plans cannot be thwarted, but they made the right choice. And you've heard it said that wise men still seek him, right? Wise men still seek him. I think this text also tells us that wise men still choose him. Wise men still choose to obey. Wise men still choose to believe what God has said. Wise men 
and women choose to put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So what is God calling you to choose today? He's presenting these options to you today as, as the wise men have led us to these conclusions. What is the worshipful response that he's prompting in your spirit? Is he calling you to just seek him more intentionally? Is he calling you to get deeper into the scriptures and to, and to, and to, and to obey the things that you know about what God's word says, to become more of a doer of God's word? Is he calling you to rejoice in God's glory? even if that means at the expense of your own glory? Is he calling you to just look into the face of Jesus Christ and revel in who he is? Is he calling you to, to give an offering of worship to him? Maybe it would be some of your time. Maybe it would be some talent that you have. Maybe, maybe it's some treasure Perhaps there's someone here today. Perhaps there's someone who's watching online today who God is saying, give me your life today. Bend your knee to me as the ruler and shepherd that the word of God declares me to be. Ask me to forgive you and I will cleanse you of all of your unrighteousness. Friends, that, again, is where true, acceptable worship really begins. So we're going to sing one more song. So let's stand together. We're going to sing one more song. And as we sing this song, just think about what the wise men have experienced, what the wise men have taught us about worshiping Jesus. And let's, and let's contemplate what we need to bring to the altar and offer to him. So let's sing this one last song together.
to your altar today to worship at your altar to worship at your feet today and to give you what you are calling us to give Lord every I I don't know people's hearts but you intimately know every detail of each person's heart and mind and life and I pray Lord that your spirit would be working in us to draw us to the place of repentance to draw us to the place of rejoicing to draw us to what you are calling us to do because we know that your word doesn't return void and we know that the seeds that have been planted here today, Lord, you are in control and you will do what you have set forth to accomplish. And so I just pray, Lord, for each one here, Lord, that, that, that as, you have, as you have shown us today by your spirit in your word, those areas of our lives that maybe need to change, Father, would you let us Even going into this new year, Father, would you let us make those changes by your grace? Would you let us become the people, the worshipers that you are calling us to be and to make 2021 a year of worship like we have never worshiped you before? Lord, would you do this work in us? We know that you desire the best for us. And so we pray that you would help us to just heed what you are calling us to do. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Friends, you are loved. You are so loved. 
And God is sending us out into the world to communicate that love to the rest of the world for his glory and his glory alone. Have a great Sunday, friends. You are loved.